Welcome to the Trailbreaker Podcast. I'm Aaron Feinberg. In this podcast, I explore what it takes to be a trailbreaker through intimate conversations with people carving new paths across the landscapes of business, art, and sport, we dig in on how to excel across seemingly disparate endeavors. What drives people who manage to succeed multidimensionally? Is it how they think? Is it meticulous planning and follow through? Or is it some measure of delusional optimism? My guest today is Wendy Chan, a senior business development executive at Thermo Fisher Scientific, a former X Games competitor in border cross, and a recent stroke survivor. We talked about the important work her company's doing to combat the pandemic, why education has always been primary for her, and why it's important to talk to strangers. Good afternoon, Wendy, and thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Thanks, Aaron. It's a pleasure to be here. So I wanted to kick us off real quick uh, with you sharing a little bit about the interesting job that you have in biopharma. So tell us a little bit about uh, what your role is now. Sure. Um, I've had a long career in biopharma, but currently I'm in um, a business where we support the manufacturing of biologics, which is actually a very exciting place to be right now, given what's going on in the world. We support the manufacturing of a lot of different uh, products for cancer and, and whatnot, but specifically COVID vaccines and COVID therapies. So we're really busy right now. Fantastic. And thank you for all the work that you guys are up to. And so what is your exact role uh, at this company? Actually, and it's Thermo Fisher Scientific, right? That's correct. So my current role is business development. So I'm interfacing with a lot of companies, biotech companies that are looking to manufacture their molecules when they can't do it in-house. Got it. And and you have a, it's a business development and, and sales position too. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, business and development sales go hand in hand. We're calling it business development because it takes so long to manufacture a molecule. So really, I'm looking for those clients that need assistance, and then we bring it in. I mean, for the sale, it it takes years, except for what people are saying in the uh, current environment with the COVID vaccine. That has been record speed. Usually, it takes 5, 10, 15 years, and we've seen it in one year, but that's not normal. Got it. And yeah, I hadn't even thought to explore this with you, but but in terms of being able to generate this vaccine so fast, what has gone on for companies like yours that have allowed folks to, to actually pull this off? So it's a lot of work between different groups that are a company. It's, it's just gone at record speed. What happened was, uh, you know, the vaccine business in general is not a super profitable business. Uh, because the cost of a vaccine is a lot lower than making, say, a cancer therapeutic. But right now it's needed worldwide. And so companies have invested in making these vaccines. The government has funded it and they're just moving at breakneck speed. It's, it's not that the science is accelerated. It's that they're taking risks to put the money and investing in this instead of something else. That makes sense. Yeah, because I know you hear all sorts of rumors and, and conspiracy concepts and, and, and bad information out there about how would it be possible that these companies could could create a vaccine so fast when in the past it hasn't been uh, as rapid. And I think to your point, right, there's there's what's actually happening at companies like yours and then what's being spoken about. And there's often a disconnect. Yes, I agree completely. I mean, what's happening is 
people were, our companies were more cautious before and they would do, you know, a phase one trial, sit there, evaluate all the information before moving to the next one. And right now, because of the need, they're doing them back to back to back and maybe booking manufacturing slots and buying materials at risk in hopes they can move it forward because we just have such a huge global need right now. Fantastic. And how long have you been in this field? Uh, wow. I don't want to date myself, but I've been in biotech since graduating college. So 20 years, um, specifically in what we call the contract manufacturing organization services. It's been three fun-filled and fast-paced months. But prior to this, I was in what we call bioproduction, which was supporting clients who were making their products, so providing materials for them to manufacture themselves. Fantastic. So what did you study in, in college? Uh, it's a mouthful. I have a degree in cellular, molecular, and microbial biology. Um, it's really a concentration in molecular and microbial biology. Fantastic. And, and like all the guests on the show, right, you are this multidimensional person who, who does succeed across a lot of different parts of life. And so I wanted to start us off with, with the work you're doing because it is so timely and important. And also, you have this whole other side to you. So you grew up in Canada and you had a snowboarding career. And I'd love to hear a little bit about that because you were kind of on the on the bleeding edge of a few things uh, and, and ran with a lot of snowboarders who are now pro or went to the Olympics, et cetera. So tell me a little bit about what it was like uh, when you were younger snowboarding around uh, BC and anywhere else. So it's funny. I, I, I was younger, but I wasn't young. Uh, growing up in it with an immigrant family, there was a lot of focus on education and things like music and math and Chinese school. But then there was this weird side that I think I got from my mother where she got me into a lot of sports, but um, more importantly, was academics. So most of my time was focused on school. There was always the goal of becoming a doctor or a lawyer because that's what every good um, Chinese kid does and play the piano. So I did some of that. I played the piano for 11 long years. I did um, international baccalaureate in high school, which is really a program for nerds, and then went straight into what we call pre-med. Um, at that time, I realized I didn't want to be a doctor, but finished a degree in molecular, well, cellular molecular microbial biology, and then didn't know what to do afterwards. So I just kept going to school. And that's actually when I discovered snowboarding. So it was pretty late in my late teens, early twenties. Nice. And then what was it like? Cause I remember you telling me stories about, um, you know, kind of who you were snowboarding with and some of the competitions and such So give us a little insight into all that. So it was a crazy time because I think snowboarding, especially women's snowboarding was still being developed the, you know, the skill level wasn't high compared to what you see that now when what I see now is pretty much seems impossible to me. But back then, if you were willing to send it, you could probably get, you know, a shop sponsor or a local equipment sponsor and maybe make it to some pro level competitions, which seems crazy to me now that I think about it. And so I started snowboarding while I was in graduate school. And due to the flexible nature of a, a biology grad program, you do experiments and you have free time. So I used to slot in my experiments and time them around being able to snowboard. I lived in Calgary at the time. So fortunately the mountains are pretty close, but I have memories of running off to the mountains and then coming back in my snowboard gear, running into the lab and trying to do experiments and sometimes just sweating buckets because I had time points to meet, but I was wearing my snowboard pants. 
It's awesome. And, um, and did you actually go and compete? I did. So I, I was ambitious, you know, I could barely snowboard and I already was like, I'm going to enter local competitions. And so I did a few, um, mostly in snowboard cross, or I think they called it border cross back then a few freestyle competitions, but really snowboard cross was my thing because this is funny, but someone said, well, it doesn't matter what style you have as long as you just go fast. So that's what I did. I did a lot of local competitions uh, the first year. And then within, I think, a year and a half, I already started going to semi-pro pro events and, and qualified for a few that I never thought I would. That's so awesome uh, to balance the, the brain, the body, and to be willing to jump right in and go after something, you know, when there's no sort of roadmap for it. And so how far did you take it? Well, the biggest event I made it to was the Winter X Games in Aspen. I went for two years, but I would say it was a very overwhelming experience. I felt a little bit out of my league, but there were people there that I had competed with or against at other competitions. And what years were those? 2001, 2002. All right. Those are my third and fourth year in Jackson Hole. So I wonder, yeah, I wonder if some of my friends from Jackson had come down to compete against you. And obviously we, we met when I, when I moved to San Francisco a, a couple of years later, but awesome. And then now what, what role does it have in your life? I mean, I think it's always made me competitive and, and very competitive in anything I do. So I've transitioned into other sports uh, for a while. I played Frisbee, ultimate Frisbee, I guess we call it ultimate now at a very high level, very competitively. I decided since I lived in California, I needed to be a surfer. <coughs> so I surf a lot, definitely not competitively, but I, I do push myself pretty hard. And I would have never guessed when I started surfing that I would be out in some of the waves I'm in now, or maybe a few years ago, I probably did more, but still beyond limits that I ever thought I would reach. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, now I'm coughing. <coughs> and uh, <clears throat> I did have a COVID test and I'm negative. So thank okay. you for joining me <clears throat> live and in the, in the home office. Excuse me. Um, yeah, it's, uh, you even had a little small part in the, in the local women's, uh, surf movie, right? It's a very small part. I think you might see my name in the trailer and a flash of me, but I will say I was in one of the early trailers, but I didn't make it to the final cut. Oh no, you got axed. I did. Fair enough. Uh, and so where's your, where are your favorite places to surf? I mean, I say Ocean Beach. I don't know if it's a favorite and I, we all have a love-hate relationship with it because sometimes Ocean Beach is just so mean to you and sometimes it's so rewarding. That's where I live. And so I'm very familiar with it. I would say I'm comfortable with it, but really we got to talk about what size it is. Like this week, not comfortable, but, um, you know, head high, a little bit overhead, pretty comfortable. So is it my favorite place? It's, it's my home break. It's home. Yep. Um, other places, you know, I've actually traveled a lot and managed to see a lot of the world surfing. Um, play, one place I loved was Nias in Indonesia. I also have a soft spot for Tofino, British Columbia, because I'm from Vancouver. But I think I love it more for how beautiful and how different it is compared to other places I've been. 
Yeah. And for those who don't know, you, you've been the owner of a uh, very noticeable sprinter van for, <laughs> for quite some years that has a, a bit of an A-team uh, paint job on it. And it's, it's probably in its last legs now, I'd imagine. Uh, but I, I know you've gotten to use that up and down, uh, up and down many coasts uh, here in the, in the States and in Canada. Yeah, the Sprinter van, we called it Jean-Claude Dam van, Jean-Claude for short. Uh, it has been a lot of places. It's very noticeable. I can't really go anywhere between here and Santa Cruz without someone I know seeing it and saying, oh, how was the surf there? It's been down to Central Baja three times. Actually, I'm kind of shocked it made it the last time. It's been all the way to Tofino along the Oregon coast and countless times close to home, but Sadly, it may be on its last legs. And, um, you know, as somebody who continuously performs at a pretty high level at work, right? You, you've, you've moved up the ranks. You, I know for many years you were, you were a team lead or you were the top uh, sales or business development person on your, in your group. But you also have been able to, to balance things like work and being a peak performer there, but also, you know, keeping space for your hobbies and keeping space for, uh, you know, home projects. I know you have, uh, you know, your beautiful house at ocean beach and you've done some really amazing remodels there and sort of like any tips, tricks, secrets that, that you feel like have guided your, your decisions in life to bring you all these sort of amazing things. I think being efficient with your time, which I don't think surfing is very good for that because we waste a lot of time looking and deciding. And so I probably don't always hit the surf when it's the best because I need to fit it into my schedule. So that's one of the things, but really I just want to be able to do it all. So I make time for it. You know, sometimes I fantasize about how it'd be great to just live in Baja and surf every day. But when I do that for a few weeks, I actually start getting bored and want the challenge, the mental stimulation of work or other projects. So I think that's how I managed to do it all. And I think just being com competitive and wanting to do everything well is what fuels me at work and in sport. Makes sense. And, and with work, what are the things that, that you get the most joy out of are the most interesting or challenging for you uh, with the type of work you do? I mean, for sales, the big thing is revenue and that, and you're rewarded. There's like a direct uh, correlation between, you know, the deals you close and, and your paycheck. So that motivates you. I've had other jobs in the past where you could do an amazing job and there was no recognition and that was hard. So to have a direct dollar recognition is nice to uh, put the two together. And, and I think that's completely fair. I don't know anybody who would go to work if they didn't get paid. And, and that extrinsic motivator like dollars is, is important. Um, and would you say there's something or some things about the work that you do that intrinsically drives you? Obviously you have a competitive side to you, which is inside you, but are there any things about the, the work that you do that you, know, you just do because you love them? Yeah, I love the people. I love feeling like I'm helping someone. I never thought I would be in sales. If you told me when I graduated college, I would have a career in sales. I would have told you you were insane because I don't like talking to strangers. I don't picture myself as a salesperson. I think I always thought like used car salesperson, the, the cheesy person who schmoozes and that's not me. So I don't think I could sell anything. You know, there's people you meet like that person could sell a rock. I can't do that. 
I love that what I sell is related to what I studied in college and that it's a very useful product. I'm, I'm not selling vacuum cleaners. I mean, those are useful too, but I, I feel like right now, especially in the last few years, because I've been in the therapeutic space, I'm selling products or services that help the world. And, and I also would say too, having gotten to work with you individually and also with, with your company for a little bit, it's, um, it's also impressive because I, you know, you're humble and you also are very talented, even in ways in which you think you're not right. So in terms of watching you interact with peers or with our social group, et cetera, you know, uh, while you may feel one way inside, it's, it doesn't show up as much, you know, to, ex to the exterior, right. In terms of, you know, your ability to, you know, be social or charismatic or, uh, and I may, it makes sense to me why you would crush, uh, you know, your job because, you know, you have your, the, the smarts and the science and the, and the education behind it, but also that capacity to sort of uh, communicate maybe more than you think. I think it's a, it's a lot more than I think because I, I got recruited to sales by a mentor of mine and he, he's the one who came to me and said, I think you'd be great in sales. And I said, you're nuts. I'm like the nerdy science person. I can put my head down. I can get work done, but I cannot go talk to strangers. I cannot push them to buy something. He's like, you're an athlete you're competitive. I know you can do this. And so he coached me and pushed me into this. And I remember my first day I had to walk in, I think it was at Stanford university. I was supposed to walk into a lab and go bother someone and talk to them about their science. And I was frozen at the door. So, but then the competitive part of me said, I can't lose. I got to go in and I got to do this. And I told someone a while ago when they asked me, you know, why do you do sales? If you say you're not comfortable, I'm like, it's because I'm uncomfortable. If I was comfortable, then it would feel like it was easy. So, and of course it's gotten easier over the years, but talking to strangers and approaching people is not, not my forte, but I can fake it till I make it. Yeah. You're a pretty good faker right now. It's good. Um, and look, you're no stranger to challenges and you've actually had a pretty significant one pop into your life over these last couple of years. Um, to the tune of a, a stroke. And so I'd love to hear a little bit about that experience and, and we'll talk about what you've done to sort of uh, move past it on a, at least a lot of levels. So what happened? Yeah, it's really crazy when we talk about that to say I had a stroke. I mean, I picture what people who had strokes look like or, you know, your typical patient and I don't fit it. It's been really interesting to explain to people. And even when I say it, I go, wait, I had a stroke. So I did. It's been almost three years and we think it was related to a surfing crash, but we don't know for sure. Um, basically one day, you know, I had a full day of work. I was feeling tired. And later that evening, I just suddenly felt feverish and sick and actually couldn't swallow, which was a really weird thing. And I'm, I'm not one to get sick. I never get sick and knock on wood and no COVID yet. But I was, just thought I got a really crazy flu and went to sleep and woke up the next day, basically and unable to walk and dizzy. And so I, being the uh, hard worker that I am, I actually got on my phone, canceled all my appointments emailed my boss, responded to emails. Like, meanwhile, my head was exploding and I couldn't see straight, but I was able to contact everyone and then call someone to ask them to take me to the hospital. And then they found 
that you had that the left side of your body, right. Wasn't, wasn't working as well as the right, or did I got have them reversed? Well, it's kind of weird. So I got to the hospital. I was just like, I can't walk. And next day I knew I was getting thrown in machines, CAT scans, MRIs. And they came back and said, I had a dissection in my left vertebral artery. And it's kind of a strange type of stroke. I think they call it Wallenberg syndrome. And it affects, some of it affects the other side of the body. And it also affects, I think, cranial nerves 10 and 11, if I'm recalling correctly, which affects your ability to swallow, which Mm -hmm. is not a normal thing. So I remember that night being really cold on my right side. And I guess that's a normal symptom. So I have been cold on the right side of me for three years now. Wild. And I don't know when it's going to change. And then in terms of some of the other uh, symptoms or or issues associated with it, has have some things improved? I mean, obviously you're back snowboarding, you're surfing, you've been at work. Um, What still lingers for you? So things have improved. I mean, at the beginning, I didn't have any balance. I wasn't allowed to walk. I was a fall risk. And then when they finally let me walk, I had to wear like a strap and someone had to be trained to catch me. Yeah. So I had to relearn to walk, relearn to balance. Um, the biggest thing was relearn to eat. And that one I will never forget. So as you know, one of my favorite things to do is eat. <laughs> I won't repeat what you said about me, uh, but I do enjoy eating and it was a compliment. <laughs> yeah, sure. But I, I couldn't swallow. I can swallow anything for over a month. So if you think about something you've never ever had a problem with and suddenly it's taken away, it's almost like saying you can't breathe. Mm-hmm. It, it was an interesting experience. And I remember the one thing I, we wrote on the board, my goal was to eat a cheeseburger and they said, we don't know when you, you're going to be able to do that again. When did you do it? So being competitive and being really focused on getting that back, it was actually only a month. But they told me it could be months. They didn't know. And at first they stuck this tube down my nose so they could feed me that way. Not pleasant. But I actually heard that that's a Hollywood diet. If you want to lose weight quickly, oh, good Lord. they stick the tube down and people, <laughs> people do this before like their weddings and stuff. And then they just feed you, a, I don't know, a keto diet. I don't know anything about diets because I'm not a dieter, but they do that for like seven days and lose like a ton of weight. Unbelievable. But yeah, you know what? Not recommended, no, but they can also do it long-term because it's really uncomfortable to have a tube down your nose. I bet, but you know, knowing the Wendy Chan that I know, if there's anything going to get you pushing down the line, it's a cheeseburger. I can tell you that cheeseburger was pretty damn good. <laughs> Amazing. So, um, so you are more or less doing everything, uh, is that right? And or are you still holding back on on certain activities? Well, I think I'm more careful now, and I don't know if it's stroke related or finally getting wiser. Yeah. So it's hard to say. I mean, I still surf decent sized waves. I still snowboard a lot. I don't, you know, huck off jumps like I used to snowboarding, but I think that stopped a long time ago. Okay. Surfing, probably a little more cautious, but I'm still out there on some decent sized days. Yes, you are. And I'm definitely eating everything in sight. I had a friend say for, for new year's, do you want to do a cleanse? And I said, look, I couldn't eat for a month. There is no way I will ever restrict my eating. 
Um, the other thing I don't do much of anymore is drink, but it was mostly because my head was exploding for a month. So the thought of a hangover, mm. I don't want to do it. I mean, I'll have a glass of wine here and there, but also I think as we get older, everyone's slowing down on their alcohol intake, which is probably a good thing. Yeah. Coming, coming from places that are, uh, that are mountain towns or that are, or, or surf places, you know, there's, uh, I think there's the, there's the adrenaline rush that comes with whatever you're doing during the day. And then there's that offloading, uh, that usually involves a couple of drinks, uh, or a bunch of drinks or a lot of drinks. Yeah. So. Yeah. I've probably been in sports that encourage drinking and it's probably time to stop. I mean, I know I, I competed in snowboarding. There was a lot of beer sponsors or yeah. Red Bull sponsors for events. I remember doing a, an event, a local event called the season ender bender a long time ago where you were supposed to shotgun a beer in the start gate and then do the course. And of course, as you advance to each round, there's more beer and I'm a lightweight. So those kind of things are, are not happening ever again for me. Well, I'm not going to post it on this podcast, but I do have an embarrassing video of myself about two birthdays ago where uh, my neighbor and I uh, decided we would shotgun a beer on my birthday, except we completely forgot the order of operations. So there is video that his wife took of us, uh, completely soaking ourselves, uh, from chin to shoes, uh, while we are clowning around trying to pop open Coors lights, we eventually figured it out and, um, and impressed ourselves with, uh, actually being able to do it, but we look like a hot mess for most of that video. <laughs> yeah. I think we're probably getting too old for that. I bet you've done the shot ski as well. Mm -hmm. That doesn't work so well for me because usually I'm shorter and I'm on the short end. So it just gets dumped on me. Ah. Uh, those activities definitely have slowed down. So I'm more civilized. A glass of wine with dinner is, is about as crazy as I get. That's all right. You've, um, you're still pushing along, uh, better than most. Um, so anything, anything fun coming up for you, uh, either on the work side of things or life and adventure. Uh, and I guess also too, is there a new van, uh, that will be, uh, showing up in your life anytime soon? So work, I mean, with COVID, everything's shut down. I was supposed to travel next week, but it's virtual and I get to start at 5 a.m. Yep. to line up the global time. So that's that's not fun. Um, a fun thing coming up, if nothing gets shut down, is I'm going to Canada on a cat snowboarding trip. It's a little reward that I'm giving myself and my friends. So the reason this came about, I've talked about it for a long time. It's on my bucket list. But also with work, we get rewarded for good performance. We have something called President's Club. And I won last year. And because of COVID, there was no trip. It was supposed to be in Greece at the Four Seasons. It would have been amazing. But instead, they, they gave us some money. And usually the responsible part of me would just stick it in the bank and forget about it. But I decided I need to treat myself. So I'm taking myself and my boyfriend and my sister and her husband on this trip. I didn't know that Juan and your sister and, and, and husband are going. That's fantastic. Yeah. We've got a good group. I have some friends from Canada and then from back home in Calgary, my sister and some of her friends. So we've got a really good crew. You keep working to get to that president's club. Wendy, I want on the next trip. I know it's really hard to win. I've come close. Um, it's actually my second time, but I've had a very long sales career. So we'll see if it happens again in this lifetime. Nice. And in a non-COVID year. <laughs> and I know that, uh, you know, watching the transformation of your house is, uh, there's been all sorts of fun projects. There's a, there's a, there's a little back office now. There's a, 
Is there, a, it's a sauna or a hot tub or both? So the sauna just arrived uh, this week and we assembled it the other day. It's not operational yet. No hot tub. I had I had one for a bit, but it, it wasn't working out. So that's gone. Okay. But we're, we're trying to open up the uh, surf spa uh, for Ocean Beach and I, I'm really looking forward to it. I mean, it's already great. I've started biking to the beach and I can come home and straighten my wetsuit. And now soon the sauna, the outdoor shower, it's, I, I feel like I'm living a dream sometimes. Yeah. I have thought that about you for many years uh, you, with your uh, ability to, to crush it at work, to cruise the coast in your van, to cross between both Canada and the United States with ease. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot of research that you have to do before you can cross right now. Totally. Well, look, Wendy, I think, um, you know, I'm glad that you've, you've rebounded from that stroke. Uh, for the most part, you're off doing the things you love. You continue to crush it at work and in the work that you and your companies are doing uh, is really helping us. So all the best. Enjoy that fantastic trip that you earned. And uh, I hope the rest of 2022 is, uh, is amazing. Yeah, I hope 2022 is better than the last few. I mean, I have to say the last few years have been great for me personally, but for the world, I hope everything gets better. Thanks for having me. All right. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. The Trailbreaker podcast is created by Aaron Feinberg with production support provided by Michael Mori. More interviews and videos can be found at aaronfeinberg.com.